too often what I do is I put my hope in things that are not eternal. I put my hope in things that aren't, aren't necessarily bad, but things that aren't the primary thing that God has called for us to do. So we'll talk about chasing carrots and the different things that we have that are put in front of us, that we work and work and work and work, and sometimes it might be like some of those, seem like some of those things are so elusive that you're never going to get there. At some point during the message, you may see there's a little video that pops up. It's just a background loop video, and Ben saw it in Sunday school and asked a really good question. I'll answer it for you so that the rest of you can just know the rodent that's on the wheel never gets the carrot. When I said that, Ben said, well, that's kind of sad. But too often, I think what we see is that I become that thing that's on that wheel that's just spinning and spinning and spinning, always striving for something that seems to be just out of my reach, and I can't ever quite get there. And what we'll talk about today is something that becomes pretty evident in our culture of, that we chase, and it's chasing fame. It's chasing so that people will know my name. It's chasing this idea that I want to become important, that I want people to know who I am, and I think to varying degrees we struggle with that on different levels. So many young people today, if you ask them, I think I'm old enough now I can say young people and refer to people younger than me, right? And maybe not, maybe not, Okay. <laughs> Those kids these days. No, no, no. No, if I say that, that makes me, that matures me a lot when I start saying kids these days. Right? Anyway. But you ask so many people who are still in school and learn, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be a YouTube star. I want to become famous on the internet. And that's what they strive that they want to do. What we're going to talk about today and talk about just a very small segment about the life of David, the youngest son of Jesse, who would become King David, one of the people that we have the some of the most written about in Scripture about him. Now, starting in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we often call that the books of Moses. They talk about Moses and his life and read stories about Joshua and other people in there. And then we get into Joshua, who takes over after Moses, and then Judges. So after Joshua dies, and the people, God appoints these different judges to rule over his people. And there's this common theme that happens in the book of Judges, and I'm getting us to David's story just kind of quickly. Is that there's this refrain, it says, and the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God would send them a messenger, a prophet we may call them, or a judge to judge them. And the people would repent sometimes for a little while, but there's this refrain that happens over and over again. God would forgive, but then the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they did whatever they wanted. That's a refrain that happens over and over again through the book of Judges. And the people say that we want a king like the nations around us have kings. And God said a king's not always going to look out for your best interests, but we are a stubborn folk. And we, we think that we want something. We want to convince God that that indeed is the thing that we want. And God tried to warn his people Israel. He says a king's not always going to look out for your best interest. But God still granted them what they wanted. So God, into First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, we have the story of Saul who is anointed king who is good initially. And then Saul becomes evil. And then there's this fight this battle between David, who is going to become king, who God anoints him to become the next king, yet David still has to wait. Because one thing that we all know about kings, whether if it's the kings we read about in scripture or kings we read about in history books or we learn about in school, kings and queens are very uh, paranoid, and sometimes rightfully so, because if someone comes up and takes their power or kills them or they want the the bloodline to run through their family and not your family, kings and brothers and sisters and moms killing one another and fighting one another and exiling one another for the sake of power. 
And the same is true for David and Saul. Saul says, I am king, and God anointed me, and I don't want anyone else. So we have this battle, David running and trying to protect himself from Saul, and David becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And yet David, even after he is anointed king, he still has to wait, not for his timing, but God's timing. And these are the stories that unfold in 1st, 2nd Kings and 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st, 2nd Chronicles. And we read all about the stories of David, the famous ones that we know, the ones that are good, and some of the ones that aren't so good that we highlight as well, and we pick on David. But I'll read just a few verses from 1st Chronicles 14. What happens again, interestingly, as I was looking through and I saw this, we have this story of David, uh, the Philistines are defeated by David, again. But I'm going to read down in 1 Chronicles 14, verses 16 and 17. So after the Philistines are struck down, or David goes out, he finds out that they're coming after him, and David says to God, God, are you going to protect me? Are you going to be with me? Can we go out? Can we defeat the Philistines? And God says, yeah. So they go out, and David strikes down the Philistines again, and here's how chapter 14 ends of 1 Chronicles. And David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all the nations. And the fame of David went into all the lands. All the nations were afraid of David because they had heard what he had done, how he had defeated the giant, how he had defeated the Philistines, how he had defeated all these mighty armies, and everybody was afraid of David, and his name spread. Now, this isn't the first time that we heard of David's name becoming very popular. As I just briefly highlighted the, the struggle between Saul, who was king, and David, who was anointed the next king because Saul was evil and did evil in the eyes of the Lord, 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verse 7. So this is in the context of, of David, and Saul knows David. And David and Jonathan are, are best of friends and spend time together. But Saul's jealousy of David grows because Saul himself was a good warrior. And that he had defeated many people in battle. And because of that, his name had become kind of famous. Yet there's this new guy that's coming. And after David had defeated all of these people, verse 7 of 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, as they danced. So the women in the area that Saul was in charge of sang this. Saul has struck down his thousands. Saul says, all right, yes, I have. Thank you very much for remembering that. But David, his tens of thousands. It's not going to sit very well with the king where he feels like his allegiance and his loyalty and the people that look up to him or that his fame is being divided between him and this new king that God has anointed. Saul has slain his thousands, which is good, but David, his tens of thousands. So you can just imagine now you and I, we know people. We know how people work. We know how our relationships work. And we know how when we feel threatened, how we respond and how we interact differently with other people. David's name started becoming famous because of the things that God had done through his life. Both from this song that they sang and danced and celebrated in the streets. And then to when he defeated the Philistines yet again and his name was great and all of the nations feared David. 
the fame of his name grew. And when the approval of people, good people, loving people, caring people, well-intended people, but when the approval of people becomes primary, I think too much of myself. David thinks too much of himself, and he thinks that he can get away with things that we would never even, well, we would hope we would never do. We would hope we would never even consider. We would hope we would never even dream about or have a passing thought. Yet when we become too much, God becomes too little. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he he came before him, and we read about him in the pages of Scripture. John the Baptist is the one that came before Jesus, the forerunner. John, Gospel of John in the New Testament. John chapter 3, verse 30. If you're looking for a Bible verse to memorize, here's a good one. It's really short. Sometimes it helps us to start with short things and then move up to longer, bigger things. Where John the Baptist says, where he's questioned about, well, you're doing all these great things. You have this message that clearly has come from God. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that God has promised? And he says, no, 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 I am not the one who is to come. But he will come. But in speaking about Jesus, John the Baptist, who was becoming famous in his own circles and the places that he went, and people were becoming, they knew who he was only because, not just because of his weird diet and the way that he behaved and he lived out in the wilderness for a long time, but because of the message that God had given him to deliver to his people and anyone who might be included to become a part of the people of God. John was very careful, I, I would partially think, because he knows his heart and he knows what we tend to do. We think of ourselves too much. Certainly he knew the story of David and what had happened and how David's fame had grown and other people's fame had grown and they thought they didn't need God. That they didn't have to rely on God. Or maybe, in fact, they thought that they knew better than God. John the Baptist says of Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, talking about Jesus, and I must decrease, a verse that applies to all of us just as much, I think, as it applied to John. Because it could have easily, John said, well, maybe I am more important. Well, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm the only one that John chose to go right before Jesus. So it would be easy for John to think an awful lot more of himself. But he was very careful. Not perfect, because there's only one perfect, and that was Jesus. And that's why John wasn't the one, and Jesus was the one. I must become less so that he can become more. And and John knew that people get confused pretty easily. John knows that I get confused very easily and I can become distracted real quick. And that even if he said, well, he must increase and I must decrease, I can't help but think that's the only time that he said it. Reminding people over and over and over again, and even him intentionally stepping out of the spotlight so that people knew without a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah and he is the one that was coming. So a couple questions when it comes to us and how we view ourselves and our faith. Two very simple questions I'll talk about just a little bit. But I think a lot of it comes down to what are we pursuing? Well, it becomes a matter of motive. 
becomes a matter of motive. And the two questions are, who you're representing and whose approval matters most. In your life, who you're representing and whose approval matters most. Another passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. The New Living Translation puts it this way, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. That's all the same so far. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's what being reconciled back to God is. Us pleading with others, come back to your Father who loves you. Come back to God who cares for you so deeply. Be reconciled. Come back to your Father who who loves you. There's always an opportunity. There's always a chance. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you have a chance to come back to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. We bear his name. We can speak on his behalf. And because of that truth, because of that reality, I need to be really careful about what what I say when it comes to my faith. And I especially need to be careful when I draw the line between thus saith the Lord and thus saith Joel. Because thus saith Joel only scares my cats. It doesn't scare anybody else. Okay? But when God has made a point, I need to be really careful when I am making a point on behalf of God that I know that God has showed me what he says. That we are his ambassadors and that we carry his name. And that God makes his appeal to other people through who? Us. Through you and through me. God makes his appeal to people who are far from God. Who are lost and hurt and broken and seeking love and that are seeking forgiveness and that are seeking community together. God makes his appeal to others through you and through me. So because of that, I need to be careful in my life and how I live. And I need to answer this question of who am I representing in my life? Am I looking out for my own sake or am I looking out for the sake of others? A mentor once shared some good advice with Dr. James Dennison. So he shared in one of his counseling sessions, he said, always stay faithful to the last word you heard from God and open to the next. Always stay faithful to the last word that you have heard from God and open to the next thing that God is going to tell you. Now, that's some wisdom that's worth noting. When we think about in my life, in your life, in our life as a church, who are we representing? Hopefully the answer to that is God. We're representing his will and his mission and his truth and his preferences. And it's all about him. It's all about so that his name will become great. Now, that sounds kind of crazy to think that I, that we, together, could make God's name any greater. (laughs) And really, God's name is great whether we accept it to be true or not. That Jesus is the only way to the Father, to eternal life, whether people accept it to be true or not. But I think what we can do is that God will use us to bring more people into the kingdom. And because of that, more people will recognize the greatness of the name of Jesus, that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through other people, through the preacher, through those that have been in the church for a long time, for those that have more free time that can talk. No, God is making his appeal through us. 
When Paul writes those words, he's talking to the church. He's making that appeal through us, living, walking, everyday, breathing people who are broken, who mess up, who fall short, but that love God and want to turn around and love other people. We've got to make sure we know who we're representing and also answer the question of whose approval matters most. A couple more scriptures. Again, in the New Testament, a little letter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Right after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. First Thessalonians 2, 4, the following. But just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, which the gospel is the good news of Jesus, there is no news that's greater than that. For just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, though we could have made the demands as an apostle of Christ, is what Paul says. That God alone knows the motives of our hearts. We don't seek after human praise, but we seek after the praise that comes from our Father. Praise that will last and praise that won't be fleeting. Praise that won't run short. Whose approval in your life matters the most? Is it the people in your family? Is it people in church that you kind of want to get cleaned up and make yourself look presentable or seem presentable in a way? Or maybe, if you're real honest with yourselves, if we are real honest with ourselves, we have those times in life where their approval that means the most to us are people that we really don't even like or people that don't even share our faith, that don't believe the same things about Jesus that we do. So whose approval in our life matters the most? Now the obvious answer in Sunday at church, well, God's approval matters most. It should but the real answer is really what matters. Does it? Another friend that says it this way, well, we'd never say it, but sometimes we live it. We'd never say God's approval doesn't mean the most to us, but sometimes we live like the approval of others. And sometimes people that we don't even care, sometimes the approval of people we don't even like, that we would just assume go the rest of our life and never see again. What is it about at my heart? causes me to seek their approval over God's or to seek their approval over people who actually care about me and invest in my life and my faith and my family. Psalm 115 says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Their idols are gold and silver, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in their Lord. He is their help and their shield. 
You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, and the earth he has given to the children of man. The deeds do not praise the Lord, nor do any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forevermore. Praise the Lord. Verse 1 again of Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord. Not to David. Not to Saul. Not to Elijah. Not to John. Not to us, Lord, but to your name we give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's a question of motive when it comes down to my life. Who am I representing? Hopefully it's God. And whose approval matters most? Hopefully, again, that's God. Yet I know us well enough that there are those times and seasons and sometimes long ones where the answers aren't that. And any answer to those questions that are not God are misplaced. And they'll get us messed up and they'll get us hurt. They'll lead us the wrong way. On March 26th of this year, British Airways Flight 3271 took off from London City Airport en route to, well, that's where it gets kind of complicated. It depends on who you ask. Because all the passengers had purchased a ticket to Dusseldorf, Germany, but the pilots, the flight crew, the air traffic controllers, and everybody else were operating on a different set of plans. The pleasant flight became a little more tense when the plan landed in Edinburgh, Scotland, and not Dusseldorf, Germany. Safety was never an issue. The people were always very safe with where they were. I imagine maybe some people were doing what I did, get on a plane, you pull up the little flight tracker, and say, where am I? What am I flying over? Hold up. I'm not supposed to cross that one. I'm going to the wrong place. They ended up in the wrong destination, about 520 miles from where the passengers expected, and the London City Airport apologized on Twitter, because that's the way you apologize to people these days. As pleasant as Edinburgh is this time of year, we're sorry that our passengers traveling to Germany on Flight 3271 initially landed in the Scottish capital. The plane was refueled again and took off again after, quote, an involuntary stopover in Edinburgh. All the people had bought tickets and got on the plane, but the flight crew and the attendants and the air tra- everybody else was working on a different set of plans. And friends, that's what happens when my approval, the person who matters the most in my life that I'm seeking, isn't God. We end up in a place that we weren't intending to go. These events remind us that we can simultaneously be really sincere and very wrong and end up in a place that you never planned or tried to go. If it's a plane, you can actually fix that destination. Yeah, you're a little bit delayed, but that happens when we travel. Reet, put some fuel back in the plane, put in the right flight path and crew and coordinate and send them back to the place that they were going to go with a little delay. But when your eternity is at stake, if you end up in the wrong place, that's it. There is no third chance because Jesus is our second chance. God has already given us an opportunity. He has given us a way to come back to him. And it's not about me. It's not about what people think of me. It's not about how much I can accomplish or we can accomplish for the name of cross planes or for the name of whatever. 
but so that everything that we do is for the name of Jesus. John 3.30. I must decrease so that he can increase. If we're full of ourselves, there's not much room left for God. May we be filled to the brim with the truth that comes from God's word and with him. And then the inverse of that reality is true and encouraging. If I'm filled up with God, there's not enough room for my mess-ups. My inadequacies, the way that I fall short, the way that I mess things up constantly, God will help to get rid of those if there's more of Him and less of me. May we not chase renown. May we not chase fame. May we not chase so that people know who we are. But instead, may people knows, know whose we are and who we belong to. Let's pray. God, you remind us, you teach us, and you tell us, and you stick with us all the time. And God, for that, we are so grateful. God, may everything we do be about you. May even the, the, the regular, routine, normal, everyday behaviors we have to do, God, may we do that with a mind that we are serving you in everything that we do. May we see the opportunities you give us every day, God, to show how much we love you by living as Jesus lived, by loving how Jesus loved, by being compassionate with others, by looking for those who are hurting and for seeking out ways how we can help. God, as you do that for us constantly. Father God, we are grateful for you and all that you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.